Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to Victory Drive, everybody. Another weekend. And I appreciate you all for coming in and listening to this fine broadcast we have going on this week. Uh, and actually this week, we have in Mo Reyes. Uh, he, we just have a good, solid gun conversation, general general convo about um, you know guns, shooting. Uh, he does a lot of reloading, so we talk about that for a bit. And um, just all sorts of other good, fun stuff. Um, but I'm going to keep this intro kind of short for all you guys. I don't want to go too long in here. Um, but I do need to mention uh, Grizzly Coolers, title sponsor. Uh, thank you again for coming on, Grizzly. You guys are the greatest. Uh, awesome, awesome partners. Love those guys. Got to hang out with them a little bit at some of the trade shows, and they're just fucking great A dudes. And, um, yeah, so if you guys are in the in the market for another another cooler, uh, especially some hard side coolers, we have a good code for you. It's code WCB. I think you get 15% off. Um, and also, th- we have we still have going on Mountain Ops giveaway. All right. It is, what day is it today? August 22nd. Well, August 23rd by the time of you guys listening to this because I'm recording this a day prior. Um, so August 23rd, the giveaway is still going on. So when you guys go to Mountain Ops and you spend uh, some money there, I think your first um, up to $100, you get one entry. So you, you go to Mountain Ops. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Go to Mountain Ops. Decide what you want from Mountain Ops. Go through, scan their their stuff, whether it's uh, some pre-workout, maybe some Ignite just to help get you through the day. Maybe you need some protein powder because you're trying to hit those macronutrients a little bit harder and you're just looking down. You're like, man, I'm kind of fucking skinny. I need some more protein in my diet. So you get some Magnum protein powder in you or you look at their fucking sweet gear and you decide that you want, like, they have a badass Merino base layers and a little Merino hoodie. Hey, come on, dude. Get yourself some of that gear. Get yourself some of that, them subs. Get healthy. Get looking good for the ladies and for the mountains. So whenever you go there and you spend some money, make sure you use code VICTORY at checkout. Code VICTORY at checkout or WCB and you get yourself 20% off and you get entered for the big giveaway. That big giveaway actually includes a brand new Elite Omnia. Holy shit, that's badass. Cool bow. 
custom Grizzly coolers. You have a WCB Grizzly cooler they're giving away, and you have a Victory Drive 40-quart cooler as well that you could win. Um, there's also going to be some other gear from Trophy Line and some of the other WCB partners. And we'll be picking multiple winners. There's not going to just be one winner winning all this cool shit. We're going to spread the love, give the love out to as many people as we can. So picking multiple winners for one of these cool ass prizes. Um, and also a little fun, a little fun fact here. If you spend over a hundred dollars, then you get two entries and every $100 after that is an additional two entries. So you go in there and you spend, you know, 400 bucks. That's like fucking eight entries right there. God dang. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So get in the mountain ops Get yourself some cool gear. Get in, get entered to win the giveaway, and we would really appreciate it, guys. And uh, that's gonna be, that's gonna do it for this week's introduction to Victory Drive. So, everyone, welcome Mo Reyes, and thank you all for listening in. I really do appreciate everything you do. And action. So, uh, yeah, um, have you done a lot of podcasts before? I've done one with uh, Jay Coffer um, on the Land podcast. He does the Exodus podcast, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, we just did one uh, like two, three weeks ago to talk about just land, uh, you know, buying land for re- recreational land for hunting. Oh, nice. <clears throat> you, just yeah. buy, you, you just bought a farm or sold a farm and bought a new one not too long ago? Yeah, so I, I'm on the third one now, but yeah, I sold the one that uh, that Austin used to help me with, and uh, just closed on the new one in in February. Nice, that's exciting. <clears throat> yeah, so got some good deer on this on the new on the new piece. Yeah, so where are you at, like state wise? You don't tell me exactly where you're at, but I'm in uh, I'm in Illinois, and Illinois. I live about an hour west from Chicago. I work. I actually work downtown Chicago. Um, I do uh, a little marketing and cool. How's that going? Awesome. awesome. Um, yeah, so far so good. Good year so far. Nice. That's awesome. That's good, yeah. man. Well, uh, so I guess we can get started if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you want to touch on? I'll let you lead the conversation and just uh, yeah, just just guide me. Fuck yeah. All right. Um, I already hit record a little while ago. I like to just kind of start recording in the beginning, just kind of get everything running, sure. rocking and rolling. So um, so I guess uh, we can just start with, you know, who you are, uh, kind of your background a little bit and what you do and all that good stuff. You don't mind. Yeah, no, sounds good. So uh, Mo Reyes, I've been, uh, you know, playing around with firearms and uh, all things hunting for the past 10, 10 years, which isn't a whole a whole lot uh, compared to a lot of guys who started when they were 
a lot younger, but for me, it's been pretty much all about, you know, how can I catch up to, to all, not other guys who are out there, but just like, you know, lost time and how do you get really good at something when you started in your, you know, in your late twenties. So I've been, and I've taken a similar approach to, to hunting, just like surrounding myself with people who have been really successful, people who have done it for a very long time. Uh, I think in the firearms world, it's a lot easier to find people who are obviously well, well trained in uh, different, different areas. So, uh, Illinois is a good, actually, surprisingly, it's a good place to find instruction, even though we have pretty, pretty highly, highly regulated uh, <laughs> uh, firearms ownership in the state. But beyond that, like the, uh, I was, I mentioned to you the, uh, the site formerly, formerly uh, the Blackwater uh, Training Facility. Uh, it's actually on the northwest corner of the state. Okay. And uh, I've got a chance to get out there, get some professional instruction with. Uh, uh, and I can, you know, get into the details about that later. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, professional, professional instruction there. A uh, few other clubs in the area. Um, I belong to the Aurora Sportsman Club, which is probably the largest uh, shooting range in, in, in the northern Illinois area. Uh, they have multiple – it's all outdoors, multiple bays, uh, no restrictions in terms of how how fast you want to shoot. I mean, I've seen guys that are shooting, you know, 50 cals. I've even seen some guys shoot can- cannons out there. So it's <laughs> really? Like, yeah, it's, oh, it's pretty, awesome. pretty wild the kind of stuff that you see out there. So, um, so yeah, like, I mean, <clears throat> happy to dive into any any of the topics. Uh, yeah. This is the very first first thing, I you know, back in when was this, when Obama introduced the assault weapons ban, that oh, really yeah. was the trigger. Well, that was the trigger for me to, no pun intended, to get into firearms because uh, – you know, my wife and I were chatting about it. I'm like, you know what? Like, I've always had the, you know, grew up playing video games, lots of, you know, modern warfare and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, I was like, this is the time to 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 do it before they, you know, they take them away. Like, you got to get them now. So her and I went out and uh, got into, get, got into, uh, you know, got our, uh, what do you call that, void card here in Illinois. Uh, mm-hmm. Got a P226. Um, and then started getting some instructions. So both of us started shooting at the same time. That's awesome, dude. So you said, uh, let's back up a little bit. So you said you sure. just got into hunting like 10 years ago? Yeah. Okay. So uh, what made you kind of get interested in uh, just, like, I guess, hunting in the outdoors initially, I guess? Well, it started with the firearms. So the, what, oh, did it start I, with firearms? Okay. It started with the firearms first. So, you know, like living in the city, um, outside in the, in the suburbs, there's really not a whole lot of the, of the hunting piece here. And uh, I certainly did not grow up hunting. My my dad did not hunt. My cousin did, but it was like a, you know, like I, I never went went with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so with with the, this whole thing with the firearms, I got into firearms first, and then you know started buying you know you know 1911s, AR15s, um, and then the hunting piece came probably two years into it, maybe a year into it, where I was like. Yeah, I, did. I wasn't a member of the of the club at the time, so I was fairly limited to just indoor ranges that are, you know, you know, very loud. They limit how fast you can shoot. Mm-hmm. There are maybe like 20, 20 yards of how far you can shoot. So I'm like, you know, like I, got, I was starting to get kind of bored of how much I could do with what was around me. So I'm like, the next best thing was 
uh, to get into hunting. And then I think within the first year or so, I went and got my, my hunter's ed here in Illinois and, you know, helped on the, got a, got a Mossberg shotgun, got, a, got out uh, on the field for yeah. late season here in the public land. Um, but that's kind of what drove me to hunting was just like, how can I get the most out of the experience of, of having a, a firearm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, that's kind of the natural transition, um, into it. I can, I feel like for a lot of people, but, uh, when it comes to, I guess, like you were mentioning earlier, it's a lot, it's kind of easier to find good instruction on how to become a better shooter and stuff rather than mm-hmm. when it comes to hunting necessarily. I wonder if that's kind of the, the, the weird thing where it seems like there's how there's always people out there trying to, you know, help people get into shooting because it seems like our second amendment rights are always being attacked. Um, right. constantly. It's a constant fucking battle. And it seems like that, um, obviously in the two a community, um, it seems like a lot of people understand like, Hey, the more people we have that are interested in guns, or at least at, at minimum understand, what guns are, how they operate, and why they're so important to certain people is a pretty big uh, factor in keeping our rights as gun owners. And that's one thing the hunting world is kind of lacking in, I feel like, where a lot of people are still very like, super secretive about certain things. Like, you know, don't ask me where I hunt kind of thing. And I totally understand that. Like, mm-hmm. don't, Especially right. when it comes to public land and stuff, you find a little honey hole, you're like, I don't want to tell anybody about this. So I get that to a yep. certain extent, but it seems like there's in the hunting world, there's, there is a sect of people that are trying to keep it, um, I guess small, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing more and more about that. Like different, you know, different, different personalities in, in the hunting industry have started to chime in and, and said, you know, that now, especially around people who focus on, on public land are talking more and more about how, public is now getting pummeled with with a lot of people and not necessarily being that supportive of of it right and i get that i totally understand especially when it comes to out west when there's you know millions upon millions of acres of public land out there and people Mm -hmm. that grew up out there as a young kid you know like let's say 10 15 years ago they're very used to having their own little range you know right if i go out here nobody ever goes back there and that's just kind of my spot and then with the uh, with the new technology of Onyx and all these mm-hmm. other different hunting, I guess influencers or p- social media and stuff blew up and Onyx and all that stuff, right? So people are starting to get out there and stretch, stretch their legs out a little bit more and get into these spots that were historically limited to um, just a few people, probably. So it wasn't very crowded, and now it's starting to get more crowded. But I also think that's to an extent because we are losing you know, public lands and a couple of different battles. And that's one thing, one fault of like there were certain, certain Republicans that they're kind of adamant about selling off some public land in order to, yeah. you know, whether it's to oil companies or logging companies or something like that. But, uh, it does seem like they're trying to think they are selling off some public land and, uh, it's not really great for, that's not definitely not good for hunting, but, uh, it is getting crowded. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how to fix that besides getting more people into it and getting more mm-hmm. people more frustrated at the fact that we don't have as many places to hunt anymore. So then maybe we'll fight for more, right? 
Like that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, and I, I agree. I've heard more about this pushback out west than I have heard over here in the in the Midwest. I've, well, in the Midwest, know, we're just used to not having land. You know, we're just used to not having a shit ton of public land. You know, yeah, yeah. it's all the Westies yeah. that have millions upon millions of acres of public land. They're like, fuck, I saw someone today when I was out hunting. That sucks. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're just used to seeing people because we don't yeah, have much. I think that, you're right. I think that's what. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm sorry. I, I think I cut you off. No, I, I was agreeing with you. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But yeah, I don't know. That's just my little spiel on that. But, uh. So you got into guns first and then led into hunting and then you've been, and you've been kind of on this road for the past 10 years or so. So that's right. Yeah. Okay. And then you, for a full-time job, you do marketing marketing and product development, uh, in the alcohol, in the alcohol space. Okay. And have you been doing that for how long have you been doing that for same time? Yeah. 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 Uh, so I guess did that kind of did those things correlate at all, or is it just kind of by chance? No, but but by chance, and yeah, they're they're yeah com- completely unrelated. I think the one thing you got me thinking about in, in terms of exposing people to to firearms, and uh, I've taken a, a couple of people from work that had zero knowledge or exposure to to firearms, uh, brought them out to the club, and and. Uh, you know, did like a proper, you know, proper introduction, you know, your, your basic um, rules of how, how to handle a firearm and, and taking somebody who had zero, in two instances, both, both of them, zero experience with um, handling them to just feeling completely comfortable and starting to hit bullseyes with proper, you know, uh, technique at, uh, you know, short distance, but, you know, start, starting somebody from scratch and overcoming those those fears um, right out of the gate with proper instruction. And, 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 you know, I think that's a a little bit of what most gun gun owners are and and dispelling some of those myths or, or the way that sometimes that gun owners are portrayed um, like their personality and and that sort of thing. I'm like, no, like this is, if it's somebody, you know, and somebody you work with, it's, it's like not a big deal. Right. No, I, I a hundred percent agree where the more people you get exposed to it, the less scary it becomes. And I, I truly believe that the big problem when it comes to, when it comes to like, um, certain citizens supporting certain gun control measures, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that a lot of people that live in cities just don't understand that in the vast majority of America, especially in rural, rural areas, um, guns are a tool and they're used for a multitude, multitude of, different reasons rather than just, you know, what certain people in the city see as in like mugging and robbery and crimes, you know, I just feel like they see it a lot. And then for one of the news and maybe even in person when they're walking around in certain parts of the city where the only Mm -hmm. time they see a gun is when it's being used in a crime or I guess from a, by a cop, which certain people kind of look at as, you know, also just as dangerous as certain criminals, you know, depending on who you ask anymore, it seems like, but, um, I really just think that that city mentality or that city view on guns is really what's, um, a hindrance in the gun community, I guess, is kind of Mm -hmm. my opinion on that. Like people in rural areas look at guns completely differently than what some city people look at them, you know? 
Yeah, no, you're you're right, and and I think it's interesting for me because I live, I don't live in this in 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 downtown of the city. I live in the suburbs, and and even even out here, you get it's a mixed bag because there's, it's just kind of like a split of, you know, when I go certainly when I go to any of the clubs or any of the gun ranges around here, like they're they're full. So the, clearly, there's people who are interested in in uh, in shooting, learning how to shoot or, or own firearms themselves. Uh, but at the same time, you hear the same, you know, same narrative that, that we're used to, to seeing on the news in the area. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's a, I live in a kind of like an odd, odd space when it comes mm-hmm. to the, the attitude, but For sure. um, having places like the, <clears throat> like this, the, the sportsman club that I mentioned, I mean, that's, that becomes really kind of like a haven for, for people who are like-minded, people who are interested. It's a great place for, you know, meeting people with, with similar interests uh, and people that are, are passionate, passionate about, you know, the different um, different areas of shooting, whether it's, you know, um, hunting or whether it's uh, shotgun sports or long-range shooting, you know, PRS, F-Class, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I mean, even some of the cowboy action uh, stuff that they're that they're doing is pretty cool but uh mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's just it's always caught my attention that it's the the people in illinois there's a good chunk of people in illinois that not necessarily live in a rural area that are into into firearms okay so i guess with your upbringing since you i, I guess fairly recently i within the past, I guess, 10 years, you know, you said getting into guns and whatnot. Um, have you always, I guess, have your, has your outlook on guns always been positive or was it at one point like kind of negative or? No, it's always been positive. And then I always wonder this about, (laughs) I don't know if it's just, you know, growing up with the video games, it's just like, there is (laughs) some sort of like familiarity with firearms. Like it's, it's, I don't know, there's something, I don't know if it's annoying to certain people or not, but like, you know, showing up to, to the gun shop and already knowing or thinking that you know what you're talking about when you're talking about, you know, a, a, you know, a Glock model or, or a, you know, a Sigma or whatever, and being able to understand the differences in caliber and, and you know, how, how much, uh, or just something as basic as using the proper or the right terminology, right? So calling it a, a magazine versus calling it a clip and like that yeah. sort of thing. Um, yeah, like it was never really a, like it never was a negative thing. It was always something that um, you know it was it was like it was cool. I want to learn more, and I just didn't know where to where to start. Mm-hmm. I guess, but once you know, like like I said, it's like once you I don't remember like the very first time that I mentioned like buying that um, that uh, Mark Twenty Five like that two two six like why did I buy that? Well, if it's good enough for uh, you know the seal, the seal, um, <clears throat> the Navy seals in the video game. It's probably pretty good for for me who has <laughs> no, I have no idea uh, how to how hold it properly. And, uh-huh. and uh, but yeah, I remember the first time we, we my wife and I were on the uh, on booth shooting that thing. It was like it, it's intimidating. And I can see how, and even though like I felt like I had shot it millions of times on the video game, it's not the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not. It's that's so funny that you say that because uh, especially after you, you get into guns. Because one thing that I always noticed, I've been into guns since I was a child. You know, my dad always had mm-hmm. guns. He put a gun in my hands at 
pretty young, you know, it was just a 22, you know, just going out and target shooting, shooting cans and shit in the backyard and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. uh, then hunting, I started hunting deer hunting when I was 12, but I took a pretty long break when I was in the army. But, uh, you know, it was one of those things I've always kind of been around guns ever since I was a kid. So I've always had, I guess that familiarity with them. But one thing mm-hmm. that is funny about like the video game correlation is that it's, if you ever noticed like on video games, whenever you add a suppressor, it always reduces the oh, range yeah. and damage. <laughs> like that's one thing right. that, that carried, that carried with me for a little bit. Like, cause that's one thing I didn't know cause we never used suppressors growing up. I'm like, man, why would anyone want a fucking suppressor? It reduces your damage <laughs> and your fucking range. Like that's, that's dumb. You know, <laughs> right. that's like the complete opposite in, of real life. But <laughs> yeah. Or, or, the, or the uh, the recoil, like, oh, yeah, like, I just, you know, as I'm shooting, I just, like, drag it down, and that's all it takes to counter it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but there's no concussion. It's just, like, the screen just shakes a little bit, and that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't really feel it. It just kind of shakes around a little bit. Right. <laughs> no, it's, that's funny, because I, I played a lot of video games when I was a kid. And then also, honestly, into my adult years, just being bored and playing a lot of video games with my buddies and shit. But mm-hmm. no, it's, that's good. That's, that's pretty funny. So you've always had a positive, like, did your family gr- growing up? Were they, I guess. No, they, no. And you know what? Like, that I think about it, like, I remember as a, I don't know, like must've been like 12 years old or something like that. I remember having one of those Daisy, um, like with a little CO2 cartridge. And it, it must've oh, been like a, like the handgun ones. Like 57. Or? Um, I think it was like a Colt Python, but yes, it was like a gas, dude. like a CO2. I had the exact uh, same one. It was heavy too and looked like legit. It looked like the real deal. And oh, it was yeah. Um, so I guess if my parents got me that at that age, I'm, I'm guessing that they have any issues with it. <laughs> but yeah. That's, that's fucking, that's hilarious. I had the exact same gun, dude. That guy. Everything you just explained, that was our, uh, uh, if there's a raccoon, like, in the in the garage mm-hmm. situ- situation, or if there's a yeah. critter in the garage that we had to dispatch that was, <laughs> that we couldn't, like, grab alive, that's what we used. I think it was a beast. It was awesome. Yeah. It was massive and, and heavy, too. Yeah. It, did. it has target shooting with it, honestly, just because it did make you feel like you're shooting a real gun. You yeah, know, exactly. Obviously, if I had a... A Python, a Colt Python of that size, and yeah. I wouldn't be shooting at the age of like you know twelve, thirteen, whatever, like that. Yeah. But no, that's cool. Yeah, it was a six inch barrel on that thing too. It was oh yeah. Big. I would flip that fuck around all over the yard too. And like there's you know like bad guys going out there and pretend to be dirty, hairy and stuff. You know mm-hmm. that was a different gun as well, but still, it's like man, I oh yes, yeah. I felt so fucking cool with that thing. It was awesome. It was the first handgun that we had as a family. Otherwise, it's just uh, 22s and shotguns. Yeah. But, no, that's, that's funny. So then you got older and you got more into guns, I guess. So you, you said you got into guns because of the assault weapons? Like, were yeah, right. Coming, you know, <clears throat> well, yeah. Um, to starting, you know, it was all on the news uh, that was happening. So, and obviously it was... It was uh, yeah, you know, the 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 AR fifteen was going to get banned. So yeah. that was during uh, the later years of Obama, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. yeah. It was, yep. well, I remember the year was what was what was it? 
probably like oh eight. Oh eight. Well, I no, I would have been. Um, but yeah, Bush so... yet, I think. Because <clears throat> Obama yeah. didn't wasn't Obama. I, I don't know, maybe it was oh eight. Might have been. Actually, he might have been. He might have came in in oh eight. Honestly, because I deployed in, in twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Obama was president then, so and, yeah. Okay, so right, right, right around that era. Right around that era, yeah. So it was like very quickly, like what's on the shopping list? Um, so it went for obviously a, a Colt, um, SOCOM, um, you know, just standard AR with a heavy barrel, mm-hmm. and that uh, and the SIG, like the two two six that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it started there, and then. Um, you know, put an, an EOTech on it, right, like right off the bat, and uh, start shooting that. But like, you know, I I think from again from all the video games, I had a pretty long shopping list of all the all the guns I wanted to get. So start with the uh, with the Colt and the two two six. But then there was just something about nineteen elevens that I really really uh, appealed to me, and um, and knowing that Springfield Armory is right here in Illinois, it's not too far from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always a big fan of, of just like, just like custom and, and like, I can talk about Sarah coding too, but like just custom, like super, like hand fitted and like super nice guns. So, um, I, I, I went into the 1911 forum, kind of like the two to six was kind of like the, the, you know, that's what we shoot. But like, if I wanted to just geek out on guns and history and like all the nuts and bolts about, um, the builds and understanding like who's the who has the, the better custom shop like Colt versus Springfield and then you start finding out about Les Bear and you start finding out about Rob Shawland who will, who left uh, Springfield to then uh, open up his own shop and mm-hmm. you start you you know you start going down the rabbit hole and, and learning about all these different people and uh, so I got my hands on um, we call this the the Springfield Professional which at the time was the the gun that was issued to the FBI agents. And oh, it's a, okay. like the these guns were coming out of the custom shop from from Springfield Ar- Springfield Armory and there were like the same gun that a person could get, the same gun that the uh, that the FBI could get. I mean it was all hard hand fitted, hard fitted. That slide like I mean it's like it's on on, on bearings. It's so smooth and so tight. Uh, really, really well built. Uh, no sharp edges on it whatsoever. Uh, and then I, I liked it so much, and uh, kind of jumping ahead, ahead a little bit. But I actually, and they don't do this anymore. They used to, you used to be able to commission the custom shop to build you a gun, any gun from the ground up. Mm. And after just spending, you know, a couple of years just kicking out and understanding all the parts, like I, I essentially gave him a list of all the parts because it wasn't all old Springfield parts. I, um, you know, like I want, uh, an MB safety from EGW. I want the, uh, plunger from the, from Wilson combat. And like, just like a build list to like what I, for me would be like the perfect 1911. So I submitted that build to them and it took him, I think, I want to say like nine months mm. to turn it around. And then they, you know, they ship it to the FFL and all that. But, it's it was like a essentially the a commander version of that professional model with uh, 
just what I would th- what I would say is like upgrades in terms of some of the some of the parts and then cr- crowning the the barrel and um, you know spe- 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 uh, specifying the, the pull weight on it. I think we had a, like a three pound pull weight on mm-hmm. it or something like that. So it's and it's, I still have it. It's it's a beautiful gun and. As the years went by, the the custom shop not stopped taking cost, truly custom orders. So now, if you if you want anything out of them, like think like all you can do is like take an existing firearm, and then they'll like swap out a couple things here and there. But they, oh, they won't do you. it. So like if you they want like a, like a like a Springfield operator <clears throat> or something like that, and then you know up, little minor upgrades here and there, like a fucking cut out like a slide cut out for an optic or some shit like that you're saying like it'll just yeah they they may still do something like that but like for example the the slide that i asked them asked them for i asked for a true commander length uh because they they have something called is like the champion champion i think it's a little bit shorter and it uses a a bull barrel it's not it's not the uh it's not the same as uh and their setup Mm -hmm. uh but yeah anything that they do now would be uh, it would have to be like Springfield parts. Like they wouldn't go oh. and start outsourcing from like Wilson and EGW and all this stuff. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Dude, there there yeah. is some fucking badass about 1911s. So honestly, yeah, no, I I uh, I'm still a fan. I think you know you have like the 2011s now, which I think they're Ugh. badass. But uh, oh my god, there's no that, that 1911s that I just you know they're just classic. Mm-hmm. Just the the ergonomics and the feel of a 1911, like they're heavy mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. metal and they shoot a fucking 45. Like it's just cool. You know, like it's just a badass handgun. That's why it's been around for so long. It's just, uh, it was well-made and it, it's, it is awesome. Like it's just, uh, and, and, and they have just such good inherent accuracy. Like they're all just inherently mm-hmm. accurate. Even if you get like a really simple one that, you know, it doesn't have like just a real simple fucking base model one. They're just inherently accurate. Like they're just good, solid guns. And that was my first, my first, my very first handgun. I actually no, I lied. My second handgun I bought was a 1911, and it was a Kimber Raptor II uh, 1911. That was that was pretty sick. Uh, I know Kimber kind of has some mixed reviews here and there from some some people, but that gun was slick and it worked great. But uh, I really want to get another one. I ended up having to sell that. Ran into some hard times, but you know, it was it was a sick gun. I definitely want to get get another one someday. But like we're kind of talking about now and experiencing again is that there's like a constant attack on quote unquote assault weapons. So mm-hmm. I've been kind of putting behind bias readily in the next few years if certain bills get passed. So yeah, I've been kind of waiting because uh, under no under no provision of whatever a quote unquote assault weapon bill um, is being pushed, none of the none of the verbiage um, really attacks like a 1911. Like it doesn't carry more than ten rounds. It mm-hmm. is it's not well, it's not an AR. Obviously, it's a handgun, but the, it, like some of the verbiage that these uh, quote unquote assault weapons bans. Are putting out. They're also trying to limit capacity of ten rounds, no matter what the gun is, whether it's a handgun, oh, right. rifle, yeah. doesn't matter. They're like, we want ten round magazines, and that's it. So, yeah, people with like you know Glock seventeens and nineteens and stuff that hold seventeen rounds, you know, uh, mm-hmm. of ammo, they need. They're going to figure something out and get it permanently 
fixed with like a pin or something through that that can't be taken out that limits the magazine capacity to fucking 10 rounds which is ridiculous but yeah, yeah a lot of the a lot of the sigs that are coming with um that came with you know 15 round mags or even 17 round mags i don't think they at least in illinois you i don't think you're even able to to purchase them anymore no because uh, illinois passed uh their own assault weapons ban not too long ago which is being fought pretty mm-hmm. hard right now uh by a lot yeah. by a lot of people um i did a podcast on it with brian he's lives in Il- he's an illinois resident guy and he right. is very well versed in this whole thing and he fucking he's he follows it pretty closely but yeah no illinois is kind of crazy as a whole it's just the whole state's ran by chicago and chicago is ran by you know, legacy Democrats that probably, you know, don't fucking crucify me for this, but probably have ties with the like the old school mafia. It's just the kind of way it is. They never really left. They just got into politics instead of instead of running speakeasies and bootlegging booze, they're here's like, hey, you know, we'll legitimize by getting into politics. That's what I kinda of think, but that's just my right. personal opinion on it. <laughs> you know? But yeah. Illinois is wild. Yeah. Yeah, the the yeah, like it, not being able to get some of the, I mean, just like, you know, like a 2011. I mean, the whole point of having a 2011 is with the modified grip being able to hold, I don't even know how many, like what, 18, 20 rounds in the. Yeah, I think, so I think most back. of them are 20, 20-ish rounds. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that for example, is like no longer something that, I, I had it on the. On the list to get, but that not something that I could, I, I could even get now? Oh my god, they're so expensive. Yeah, they're so expensive. The Spr- or, or Springfield you- came out. Oh. What? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, what happened? What's up? No, I said, I said Springfield came came out with their own version of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, uh, version. What was it? The Prodigy DS. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that gun looks pretty slick, honestly. As far as looks goes, I have not handled one or touched one, so this is this is not an endorsement of that gun. But it looks pretty badass, and the price the, for the price, like you're talking, mm. uh, what is it, fifteen hundred bucks? I don't know. I don't even know. Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, that that whole market was just ripe for somebody to come in and, and release a production gun that is not you know five thousand dollars or yeah. or whatever is like that that XC yeah uh, the staccato has. Yeah, how much is I mean, how much does the staccato run now? It's, yeah, be- it's three or five grand for the for the top of the line with the compensator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's <clears throat> terribly expensive, and there's a bunch of different um, twenty eleven manufacturers out there. But man, the damn I mean, staccato is definitely they're one of the best. But you're talking. Well, let's look look it up real quick. Where are we at here? What the hell are we at here? Oh, jeez. Let's see. Buy now. The XC would be the one to look at. Yeah. Let's see. I'm looking at the XL right now. I just clicked on the XL just because it's a random one. Oh, yeah. Here we go. $35.99. When I said $35.99, yeah. I mean $3,599. Yep. That's expensive. That's an expensive fucking yep. handgun. And I think the well, me, DS is at least half that. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a story about expensive guns. A couple of stories on expensive guns. Um, so SIG in Germany, um, 
they make the uh, the X fives, and they had been make they had been making these guns for a long time. Um, and I think it was like two thousand, I want to say two thousand seventeen, where there was a ban on importing uh, those guns uh, from Germany. There was still a way to do it. We just had to file a lot of paperwork, and uh, those who were able to get them over. Uh, they would command a pretty pretty hefty price because when back when when Sig in the U.S. was bringing them over, they were like maybe it was like two thousand dollars for mm-hmm. a Sig X5 made in made in Germany. After the ban passed, I think you're paying more like three to four thousand dollars for it. Yeah. I had my hands on. You can look this one up. It's it's the X5 Chrome Carbon, and it was the most beautiful pistol I've ever. Uh, owned and it was hand polished. The grips are aluminum and they're like shiny as hell. And um, and I never, <clears throat> I never, never shot it. It was just like so pretty to to even like to even <laughs> shoot. And what I ended up doing, ended up getting uh, getting rid of it. Well, that's the same model of gun pops up on Grown Broker. It sold for thirteen thousand dollars. Oh my god! And you can look 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 this up. And I certainly did not sell for thirteen thousand dollars because I didn't know that uh, the factory in Germany was actually shutting down. So this, the, these German SIGs are no longer being made because the factory shut down. Jeez. Um, but SIG in the U.S. now has their the X5, uh, the new X5, not not the polymer one, the full full steel one, mm-hmm. and now they're back. Like the normal, the normal price. But there was a for a few years. That was like, it was a crazy market with uh, with these German made SIGs, and that chrome carbon was a very hard to get uh, by by itself in, in in Germany. So like when when you did find it here, and then after the the factory shut down, like that was probably the most expensive uh, X5 you could get. Jeez, that's wild. Yeah. That's an expensive gun. But it, that's, it's a really pretty. That's kind of the fun thing about um, on guns, though, is you never, especially when you walk into like older gun shops and stuff, you never really know what you're <laughs> going to stumble upon, you know? Right. Because I was just, uh, I did a podcast. It's actually going to release. It already, well, by this time, it would have already already released. But I did a podcast with uh, the guys from Stagger, Staggercast. They're what? Northeast um, hunters, you know big buck killers out in the northeast new new england area but they mm-hmm. they run a lot of remington 7600s 7, you know pump action 30 out sixes and stuff and yeah. he, he was saying like man they can't find them out there like the old remington 7600s they you know even old beat up ones they're selling for you know fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars depending on where you're looking if they have them and it got me thinking like fuck dude I didn't know that because my, the gun shop, I, my local gun shop, I saw one in there for like, I want to say it was like six, 700 bucks. And I was looking at it. I'm like, man, I should buy this fucking gun. Cause that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. And I didn't, I should have. Cause I could have. Yeah, it. Uh, you always find like all these like little gem, you know, gems that are like, there's like this little pockets of like, niche guns that people like if you know about it like you know exactly what you're looking for but you know there's like that example is a great one of like i had no idea about that but yeah i totally mm-hmm. believe it like it's the same thing with um 
<clears throat> with you know like pythons like there's a there's, oh yeah well actually the uh you probably have heard about this the the oh my gosh cold had a small a short run of 1911s that went to the to the marines that were seracoded and the seracode was just chipping off and then mm-hmm. they decommissioned them fairly quickly and now those guns I mean, you go go on broker try and buy one of those, especially the ones that even the ones that are decommissioned that have a big X on the on the slide mm-hmm. are they're going for I want to say like five thousand. Some people are asking for like eight to ten thousand dollars for those guns. Jeez, it's just like a run of the mill nineteen eleven, but it's you know it's like a it's the marine limited run. Yeah, it's, it's a got, piece of history. Yeah, it's got US seven C on the side of it, probably. I'm sure it's yeah, got a globe and exactly. anchor somewhere on there. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, that's one thing the Marines are really good at. Like they don't, they, I think the Marines in general pay less than other branches and they get, maybe they I don't think they, well, I don't know, I guess they get stationed in places like California and shit, so that's not too bad, but I don't know, they get like a bunch of hand-me-down stuff, but you get the title of being a Marine and they got like cool symbols like the globe and anchor and a bunch, right. of, a bunch of history and shit that they get all hyped up on and stuff, so it's kind of funny because like, when people want to be Marines, it's like, they want to be a fucking Marine. There's no talking them out of it. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of rich history so, um, in, in Marine Corps, in the Marine Corps, honestly. Yeah. So it makes sense. I guess what I'm trying to say that they're going to command a pretty hefty price for a Marine Corps, uh, 1911. Yeah. All right. I agree. What? I say, I agree. Oh, you're okay. How they said, are you there? Like, yeah, dude. So, sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, I do want to, I do want to get to some other stuff before we get off. But uh, I you are really big into reloading and stuff, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten into that yet, so that's something I'm I am really interested in. So, what made you get into reloading? I guess because you get, okay. Let's back up a little bit because you're into like long range shooting and shit, right? Like PRS stuff, right? Is that what got you <laughs> right. into reloading? Yeah, the, you okay. very quickly found out that anybody who is really serious about that game, like that is, that's what you got to do to get the most out of uh, out of the rifle. And the thing is, Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal: develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com There's a way to maximize the potential of, of every rifle. You know, it could be, you know, from the cheapest, you know, production rifle you can get to, you know, like a top-of-the-line hand-cut um barrel that, that was built just for you with your with you know with your round and your headspace in, in mind um and we can talk a little bit about that but uh yeah and the prs game is all about getting um people talk about the the sd like people that people will just ask immediately anybody who's into the you know prs game that's that tends to be like the the stats that people are talking about for the most part, which is like SD stands for a standard deviation. Mm-hmm. And what people are referring to is that 
as you are creating, finding your load, the, the optimal load for your rifle, most of these guys will have some sort of chron uh, chronograph. And you can go really expensive with uh, uh, a lab radar, which is actually a, a truly a radar that, that uh, tracks your the, the speed of your bullet from, from the moment it comes out of your out of your uh, barrel all the way down down range. That's the, the most accurate way, uh, I think, to, to track it. And then most of the guys will use what is called a, a magneto. And a magneto is kind of like this sensor, uh, magnetic sensor, I believe, that attaches to the to the barrel itself. And when the bullet passes right over it, it measures uh, or charts the speed at which it came out of the muscle. And it's far more accurate in measuring it than uh, those old old school uh, chronographs that you have, like those little, like the two antennas. Oh, uh, yeah. Are, you know which one I'm talking about? Yep. <clears throat> those are not that accurate, but most people are using these magnetos. So what the whole thing, uh, like to, to simplify it a bit, the what you're trying to do is, is finding the charge weight or the amount of grains. And, I mean, you can talk about powder and all that stuff, but just to keep it simple you're trying to find the the sweet spot in which the right amount of a certain amount of powder will find um they, they call it like the flat spot and what that means is that there it will be there will be very little variation in how much the speed uh changes from that from that load so let's say for example um I'm loading 308 uh, with 168 grain uh, bullet, uh, and let's say I'm putting like 42 grains of um, of uh, I'm just gonna say Varget as one of the one of the powders. Mm -hmm. So I know, and another thing that people use is there's a, this program called uh, Quick Load, and Quick Load is a software where you input all your the stats of of like your speed, your powder, your seating depth, your uh, everything that you can measure, you, you can enter in the computer and then quick load will give you a, a prediction of what the speed will be and it will tell you um, how much powder you can put in the case without compressing the, the charge uh, or going to, to, to uh, or not putting enough in it. So you start from a good place there. So let's let's start. So like the forty-two, and you can find that forty-two grains on a Hornady manual or an RCBS manual, whatever. You can find that that charge as a starting point. So what what guys will do is like the, let's say they take that forty-two uh, grains, and then they'll start. You can there's so many ways to do this, but mm -hmm. they, some guys do 40, 42, 42.1, 42 42.3, etc. So you'll create like let's say five to eight batches uh, of rounds with that amount of charge. And then you'll run them all through the, through the chronograph. So let's say at 42 grains, the five bullets that I shot somewhere coming out at like, <clears throat> excuse me, let's say somewhere coming out at like 2,800 feet per second. And then some of them are like the, and the lowest end will be 2,800 feet per second. And then, like, the hottest one, even though they're all 42 grains, the hottest one came in at, like, you know, like uh, 28.50 feet per second. So what you're looking for is a batch of, of rounds that had the least amount of spread. Mm. Like, the, 
and so the least amount of spread, that means that the, the speed stayed very consistent. What you're trying to achieve is that every single round comes out of that barrel at the exact same uh, speed, no matter what. Okay. And then, uh, and then the, the, the data that you put into the software just tells you which of these batches um, is the one that, uh, that does the job best. And that's where, where, where guys tend to get started. So if you are trying to get into reloading for that level of precision at long range, you're, you're looking at spending a lot of money just in equipment, right? Because you need uh, – some guys spend easily $1,000 just on a scale. And we're talking like lab, like scientific lab-grade scales that can read that point of a grain, tenth of a grain, uh, precisely over and over again. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, and you know, some guys go with – you know, some that's a lot cheaper, like, what, $50 for, for a little scale that can get you there. But like if you're playing that that PRS game, you're really gonna have to get into the the scales, the you know having a special powder that uh, a powder scale that throws exactly the same amount of powder every time, so you're not doing it by hand. So uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it, and and, and you know it sounds it sounds pretty complex, but it's something that. You have to. I, I took a, uh, a class from somebody who does this at the club. Uh, he's an NRA um, instructor on reloading. Okay. So he, that's how I learned all of this. Like if I if I was going to start this from zero and I just went and grabbed a manual, it would be not only intimidating, it could potentially be <laughs> pretty dangerous because you could you know if, if you mess something up or like something as simple as, as uh, this happens often. If you were to put two charges, like just by mistake, you, you dump twice the amount of powder in a nine millimeter case, that thing is going to blow up your slide. Oh yeah, for sure. So it's 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 um, kind of nerve wracking at, at first when you start getting into it, uh, especially if you're learning how to use the uh, the presses and all that. You know, you have the single stage, which most people start out with. It's you know it's cheaper and it's all your attention is focused on one one part of the process versus uh, a progressive press that has every time that you pull the handle, five thing, five different things happen at the same time with five different cases. So you really have to get a, have a good understanding of how the whole thing works and, and, and have everything well, well tuned so that you, you don't end up, you know, blowing up a $2,000, $3,000 gun and, <laughs> and probably hurting your, yourself in, in the process. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you're loading up explosives into a small area and shooting a projectile yep. out of a small piece of metal and trying right. to hit something a really long ways away. So it is, it's incredibly precise, um, like science that has to go into it. And there's really not, like, there's, you can deviate, not really deviate, uh, you can experiment with and do your own thing within confines of the parameters but as long generally as long as you stay within the confines of the parameters and you know when it comes to pressures and all that stuff um then you sh- you can really tweak those bullets and charges and stuff you can really tweak them quite a bit from like factory right oh for yeah for sure and then the thing what happens in i mean this you know cheap uh tula ammo or like wolf ammo um hell yeah case and all that stuff like what's the difference between that and something that you hand load well there's probably a significant variation in the amount of um 
powder. Like it's still safe, but it's not the same amount of powder in every single case. Or how deep the they seeding the bullet at the factory. There's probably some variation there. And I think that's that's the name of the game. Like you want everything to be consistent. It could be you know whatever the measurement is, but it has to be the same in every single round because that's what's going to give you that that repetition and 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 reliability. And so a lot of that that uh, factory ammo that is on, on the cheaper stuff, it just has a ton of variance at, across multiple things, not just the powder, but how how much the uh, the bullet is seated in there. Even the bullet itself, like the variation of how much one bullet versus the other, like it could be one or two, three grains in difference. If I go out to the store and buy a box, a box of Hornady um, Amax or not even Amax, the ELDs that most people shoot. Mm-hmm. Guys will like will met will weigh every single one out of the fifty or the hundred, and they'll put them in batches because they're even in those cases. There's variation of a grain to all the way to three grains in a hundred and sixty-eight grain bullet. Um, mm-hmm. So they'll set those apart. So like anything that you can measure with components, people will like geek out and like start setting them aside in different batches. So the the goal ultimately for them is to build a batch of rounds that are essentially identical from one another. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to factories. Like, you're you're talking about mass producing this shit, so, you know, right. there, there's going to be some variation, you know. There's some variation in everything that comes from a factory just because they're, they're, they're focusing on... And there's some quality, high-quality factory ammo out there, you know, like... Um, certain lines of like Nosler, they put out some really high quality, right. you know, factory ammo, but they're still going for quantity. You know, when you're hand mm. loading, you're specifically loading each round for a hundred percent quality and what that, what your specific gun and how it shoots and what it likes for, um, bullet weights and, um, powder charge and all that kind of stuff, you know, so you're really dialing it in. So you're getting ultra accurate and ultra specific so i could definitely see like some guys noticing some pretty big variations like three grain variation between bullet weights seems like a lot but when you think about it like how much is one grain you know it's not that much so just right. a little bit of material left on the bullet when it goes to the factory it's like i could see how that slipped past um you know quality control and get out there and you know, and honestly, I don't know. I'd probably say most most shooters probably wouldn't notice the difference in what they're shooting. You know, right. when it comes to factory ammo and stuff. In all honesty, like their shooting technique and stuff probably isn't where it needs to be to really notice. Like if uh, factory ammo is off, <clears throat> I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right because one is is. How is the gun even built? Like, if you have a mil spec trigger that is super gritty and it's like a what, like an yeah. eight to ten pound pull, oh, that's going to be bad. far more disruptive to to your accuracy than than the ammo. Yep. in my opinion. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, a really good shooter can get past a mil spec trigger and still shoot pretty decent. Mm-hmm. But man, you got to fight through a lot in order to oh. keep that keep it on target and you know because those mills it sounds cool you know mill spec but they suck like honestly um when people say military grade after being in the military for almost 10 years it's like when people say like military grade i'm like ugh, 
it's going to break, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> or or yeah, maybe it kind of sucks. But uh, some some of these PRS triggers, uh, a lot of guys shoot uh, um, trigger tech. I mean, you're talking in like in a Remington seven hundred action, like a one ounce pull on these on these things. Like you and and you can adjust it right. You can make it a lot heavier, but it's essentially you can make it a, a hair trigger where you have the least amount of, of uh, input on, on the rifle. And the, if, if you have, a, you know, a kick-ass barrel, kick-ass action, and a kick-ass trigger, and you have the, the right ammo for it, you really are going to maximize the potential mm-hmm. that, the, that the setup has uh, with a trigger that is that light. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've shot some guns where it's like you fucking look at the trigger and it's going to go off. <laughs> so light, it's crazy, but yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I I like what weight trigger do you like on your like precision guns? Do you like a super light trigger? On the on the bolt action, I like really light. Do you? Um, and then on the I don't know for for some reason I keep coming back to um, I built a, a three hundred eight. I put together a three hundred eight gas gun from from scratch. It's actually a, a Zeb. Um, oh, nice. Upper and lower. Um, but I, I like that one to go a little bit heavier. And I think maybe something about just, uh, it being a semi where you, you have a little bit of, um, if you go too light and this happened to me with a Geisley national, the, the Geisley, uh, match trigger is a, it's a two stage trigger. If you go too light on it, it won't reset. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With, um, with it being a, a semi where it doesn't, I don't know what, what exactly costs it, but if you go too light, you won't reset the, the, the trigger. Um, I put the trigger tag uh, on that one, the uh, AR version of it. Um, and even then I still go a little bit heavier than the, than the bolt gun. Okay. No, I, that, I think that makes sense. It's uh more, you're going for more of a combat trigger when it comes yeah. to, uh, semi-autos, you know, and gas guns specifically. It's like, you don't want a super duper light, um, trigger on those, in my opinion, you really don't, you also don't need it because you're right. not shooting them super long range, you know, but on your long yeah. range, um, bolt guns, you know, I can definitely see how guys would want to get away with, uh, a much lighter trigger. And I like me personally, I like a really a nice light trigger on my bolt guns too, but I still like, uh, I'm still right, right around that one and a half to two pounds ish guy kind of mm-hmm. guy, even on my um bolt guns just because i like to i like to get settled in and put my finger on the trigger and just really kind of get in the zone that way like, you know what i mean like i don't like yeah. to i don't like to touch the trigger and it goes off kind of thing i like to get yeah. my finger on it and start and slowly start applying pressure before it breaks that's, that's a, with that's a two-stage single-stage um i guess mostly single-stage i like two stages though i do i really 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 like two-stage triggers but I shoot most, I guess most of my guns are just single stage. Yeah. But yeah, either, single stage makes make sense. Yeah. But either way, honestly, I can, I like, I, I like, and I can see the pros and cons of both triggers and I can shoot both types of triggers pretty, pretty darn well. But I, I don't know. I think I, I personally kind of like a single stage on my bolt guns. Just, uh, I like, I kind of like touching it, setting it on there, getting settled in my shot and then just like starting to apply pressure. Then it goes off, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I just shoot, seem to shoot those the best and I kind of, I kind of, 
I guess I kind of look at it like archery when you're shooting uh, a hinge release. Mm-hmm. You shot hinge releases before? Oh, yep. Yeah. So like back tension, hinge release type um, situation there. Like I look at those almost as being like a, a two stage where you're fucking pulling back and then you're like, okay, here we go. I'm pulling through, pulling through. And then you hear the click and you're like, okay, here it goes. And, tunk, and it just kind of yep. goes off and it's supposed to surprise you. That's how I look at like really nice two stage triggers. And then the single stage triggers are those really nice, uh, you know, finger caliper releases, which, which is what I also shoot at my, at my compounds. I don't shoot hinge or tension releases, I guess. But, uh, I don't know why I just, I've always really liked, uh, put my finger on the trigger, kind of start going through my, sh- and that's when my shot process really starts. So with rifle shooting, I can just do the same thing. Once I get on, get on target, get the target in my reticle, get ready to go, get it on target and then settle in and get the spot on the target that I'm trying to hit. And then that's when my shot process really starts. Let me ask you, when you're looking through the scope, are you focusing on the target or are you focusing on your um, on your dot, on your cross Target, yeah. No, I'm a target-focused guy. I, I like to, when I'm set up behind a gun, I yeah. acquire the target. You know, say say I'm out, out there and shooting a range and it's unknown targets. I go out there with my binos, you know, almost like a NRL match, right? Or a hunting yeah. situation where you're glassing with your binos, then you're like, oh shit, there's a target. Okay. Get your gun kind of situated and ready to go. And then you get down on your gun, then you find the target in your reticle. And then once I get the target in my reticle and get the crosshairs on the target, that's when I flick the safety off, put my finger on the trigger, and then I focus on the spot that I'm trying to hit. And then the mm. reticle kind of blurs and I just kind of keep the crosshairs on the spot that I'm trying to hit on the target. And that's when I, you know, Right and squeeze off. That's awesome. Is that, is that the same for you, or are you, are you different? Are you more of a? No, I'm, I'm actually the, the the opposite. I, I focus on the uh, oh, target first, then I switch over to getting my um, my radical. Um, focus on the radical and put it right where I want it, um, and then just focusing. I guess my attention then just shifts to the press of the trigger. Okay. Um, but someone's like a back and forth is like making sure that that reticle is exactly uh, where I'm aiming at. But it's it's different from when I'm looking at the through the bow. When I'm shooting with the bow, it's a hundred percent focused on the target and just blurring the the pins. But it's I'm not letting my reticle blur. Actually, the, the target blurs when I shoot through the through the rifle. So it's the uh, the opposite from from the bow. Oh, okay. Me. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm yeah. a, I've always shot my bows and my rifles pretty much the same. That's how I've, I don't know, I never really remember being taught this, but I, I just remember my, like my dad when I was young, he'd tell me to pick a spot, you know, pick a spot on the animal that you're trying to shoot and then yeah. just stay focused on that spot. And well, in this, when my dad was teaching me how to shoot. We were, you know, Iowa deer hunting, you know, we're pushing deer. We're going to fucking crucify me for that. But <laughs> generally we were shooting deer that were either uh, like jogging or running like that's just what we did and mm-hmm. uh my dad always told me he's like hey you know even if it's, when it's running you keep your fucking eye focused on i don't think he said fucking but he said keep your eye focused on the spot you're trying to hit an animal bring your shotgun uh-huh. up and then your gun will just be there and you're just using your sights as a reference but you're never losing that spot 
So I guess that's how I've always shot, even when it's stationary. I've just always been very focused on that one spot that I'm trying to hit on the target. And then um, I've, I was just kind of went through stages when it transferred over to, you know, optics and scopes and, you know, um, uh, red dots and shit like that in the military. Mm-hmm. I've still always been that way where I'm focused on the target and then bring my sights up. And my sights will just generally be in that vicinity, no matter like, no matter what. Those be in that vicinity, that I just gotta kind of fine tune really fast and let her rip, kind of deal. Yeah. So it's just been out. It's always kind of been that way. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try to give that a shot because it's it's not something that. Yeah, like I, I because I learned how to shoot with a rifle before I learned how to shoot the bow. I think if I was, you know, if I learned the bow first, I maybe would have brought over that same way of aiming of like folks on the on the target. Yeah, I feel like I get, I feel like I'd get, tar- I get target panic when I focus on the reticle, and not necessarily in the uh, the sense of target panic. Like some people talk, like um, if I can't, I've noticed that I'm kind of, I'm kind of anal about certain things. And if mm-hmm. I can't get that fucking reticle to stop, then I get uh, kind of pissed. You know what I mean? I'm not comfortable with float, with like pin float or reticle right. float. And I've, you know, I've been through sniper ranges and stuff. I've never been through sniper school, but I've been through like ranges with the snipers that we, um, our sniper section that we had with us. And they will, they talked about, you know, like just letting it float in that spot, just letting it float and being comfortable with that. Like, I'm not very mm-hmm. comfortable with that when I'm focused on it. If I'm focused on the target, then I get comfortable with that float because the float doesn't seem as bad. Yeah. If that makes no, sense. That, that makes a ton of sense. So otherwise yeah. I get, otherwise I just get so pinpointed on stopping that movement as much as yeah. possible before I let it off. Then I end up getting frustrated and like, okay, it stopped. Goosh, and then squeeze it, you know, and then I flinch. Because I'm just trying to get the fucking the round off or the arrow off really fast, so I'm trying to time it where it's like, okay, now it's stopped. Squeeze it off, and then it makes you flinch, and I'm off target. So I've just been yeah. like, if I I found with myself, me personally, if I stayed focused on the target and just you know moving through it, like I think what's his fucking name, uh, Joel Turner, has a shot IQ guy, oh, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think he's talked about it before and that makes a lot of sense in my head where he's like, it's like you're moving through that stage, moving through that position or moving through that room of the shooting house, wherever his analogy, big analogy is on that whole thing. Um, I've always kind of done that in stages where it's like, okay, target acquisition, get the target, my reticle. Okay. Find the spot on the target I want to hit, bring the, you know, crosshairs to that spot and then move through it. And once it's on that spot, once my reticle and everything's lined up on that spot, then I move through the scope and onto the target. I focus on that specific spot that I'm trying to hit. And everything mm-hmm. else is a little bit blurred, but I've already done that. I've already done that. I've gotten everything lined up. Now I'm focused on that spot on the target, and then I'm going through my my execution. That's right. Yeah. So, I don't know. This is how... I've kind of generally always shot, and then I never was able to really put it in very good words until I listened. I did hear Joel Turner talking about that. I'm like, dude, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty much how I've been kind of shooting, just not in the right. I I did like a form of that, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I 
agree. I think the way that you described it just now, I think a lot of guys can relate to like that uncomfortable feeling of not being able to keep those pins or that reticle steady. Yep. Yeah, because I've heard Levi Morgan talk about that, where he's like, you just got to be comfortable with the pin flow. I'm like, dude, I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, I'm not good with watching that pin move around. But when I'm focused on the target, when that sight kind of blurs, it doesn't seem like it's really moving that much. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a lot easier for me to be comfortable with, because it is floating. It is still, it's still doing its thing. I'm just not paying attention to it as much. Cause I've already put the pin on the target and then I'm moving through that getting on the target and calling it a night and letting it do its thing. And then right. my brain does a rest where it's like, it'll time it out for me. Yeah. You know, but also with, uh, cause I, uh, I've done some long range shooting and stuff, not to the extent that you're doing, you know, we've shot a, shot a lot of guns, you know, at the sniper range and whatnot. And then, but most of my training was, you know, CQB type stuff. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of shooting faster and rather than, um, you know, long range shit. Yes. Yeah, so it's, uh, I would think it's more instinctual and more of like, it's in the generally in the general right area versus like, Oh, I want to hit like, this very specific spot as you're cleaning a room or something, you know, things like that. Correct. Yeah. Most, because when we were in Afghanistan, most of our firefights happened within, I don't know, I'd say, I don't know, three, four, 500 yards ish or meters or whatever, you know, uh-huh. it was generally, that was generally the distance. Like they, they like, they really like to get us kind of close and then we would have to, you know, go from there. We're just suppress a fire or, mm-hmm. you know, okay, they're shooting us from over here. Let's suppress that spot. And then if we see something, then we direct and try to be a little more accurate. But generally it's like, you know, hey, suppress a fire on this spot, get fire superiority, then maneuver on them. And when you're the maneuvering element, it's a little bit different because, yeah, it's much more instinctual. It's like you're going through, it's generally closer quarters, and you right. don't need to be as precise because when you see something, you're just popping up on it and fucking just – Letting, trying to hold the hold the gun down and fucking hammer down as much as you can until the you know target's down and incapacitated kind of deal. So yeah, uh, the snipers they though obviously they they did all their stuff was fucking you know ultra precise. They're not doing suppressive fire as snipers. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. you're you're picking your shots because you don't want to be picked off when, in your hide and whatnot. That's why the infantrymen are down down on the ground fucking. Draw on the fire kind of deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you just reminded me of, I guess it's a similar technique. Cause I, like, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I used to play um, paintball for a little bit and more of the competitive stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And when they get into, oh, I forgot, this is so so long ago, but when you have like five, five versus five and it's like a, this very small, um, what do you call it? like a small arena or whatever? Like I remember, it's like you're just shooting volume. You're trying to suppress the other side so that your you know your buddies can maneuver and flank them. And it yeah. was less about precise on like you know I want to pop him in the head. It's just like no, I got to keep him behind cover so that my buddies can maneuver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kind of, the well, way they use let's see, pretty damn accurate. Paintball is very similar to. You know, 
combat in that sense where it's like that's what you're generally doing is you're you're trying to gain the biggest thing is you're trying to gain fire superiority and the only way to do that is with overwhelming fires i.e mm-hmm. a shit ton of bullets down range more bullets right. than they're putting down range so they had, so then the enemy has to keep their head down rather than firing their weapons they have to keep their head down because there's so much shit going on around them and they can't concentrate right. so we need to as a fighting force we had to be able to um acquire targets and suppress targets as fast as possible with like mm-hmm. i said overwhelming fires that's why in a, as a scout sniper element we had we had a lot of firepower at our disposal when it came to small units like we had we had two machine gunners two grenadiers squad leader and a team leader you know that was our squad makeup and you know that's a lot of firepower for a small amount of people. You know, generally in a in a normal like line company or line unit in your in a squad, you have you know, you know you have more people, so you have I think you still have the same amount of grenadiers and maybe a machine gunner or something like that. But uh, you have a few more riflemen in the mix as well. But we have generally the only rifle like quote unquote riflemen we had in our squad was our squad leader and team leader, and that's mm-hmm. because their main objective was directing fires and. Um, having command and control over the element rather than, you know, obviously they shot, but their main objective was making sure that we were all doing our jobs before they were firing their weapons kind of deal. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it, yeah, it's just a different situation. So I was, my training background did not necessarily, um, wasn't necessarily long range precision shooting all the time. It's just, you know, we definitely did a lot of that, but um, maybe we did a lot more than like regular line companies, but that wasn't really my forte in the military. My forte was blowing shit up as a grenadier and shooting fast. So, right. But, well, I mean, <laughs> and and it's amazing, right? Because like you know, I'm I'm talking about you know playing around with the long range stuff, but it's like, well, nobody's shooting back. Like you're reeling the real shit in like the thick of it, and always is a completely different different experience and, and obviously your life's at stake and your buddy's lives are at stake so it's, there's yeah. no comparison yeah it's a, it's just a different situation you know it's like um yeah when there's lives at risk it's uh completely you just react differently but when it's yeah. a competition you know um honestly a lot of these competitions are they're doing pretty damn well with um you know time constraints and trying to get you know try to make it you know, as stressful as possible. So then when you get to your moment, especially with the uh, NRL Hunter, that competition, have you done any of those? No, I haven't. I'm really interested in it. Is is that the one where, um, yeah, buddy of mine was telling me about it. Is this, uh, the, is, this, is it called Mam- Mammoth? Is that, is that one of those? Where they, like, they, they pack up and essentially they're, like, hiking for miles and miles and there's, like, sections where they have to make some really crazy shots. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're calling all their gear. Is that is it anything like that? Um, I think it might be similar. But the, the NRL Hunter matches are very much hunting based, so they're going to be in your your most of your targets are going to be within. I, I've never done any of them, but this is what I've been told: is that most of your targets are going to be within traditional hunting ranges. Um, okay. So you're talking, you know, two, three, four hundred yards. Then you're going to have some out there at six, seven, eight hundred yards, you know, so that's going to be your general, it's not like PRS where they're shooting at, you know, a thousand plus yards. Right. 
as as right. much. There, I think there might. My buddy does has done a few of them, and he said there are some long shots, but generally they're in their traditional hunting ranges. And uh, the way they're the stages are set up is that you you walk up to an area, they tell you to stop, and they say, okay, you know, point to an area, say this is where your shooting position's at, go. And you go out there, and you have to fucking get get your gun set up, get your spire set up, get your binos out. You have to find the targets. All they tell you is how many targets are out there. And mm-hmm. so say you get to a stage, and they're like, yeah, there's four targets out there. Then you have to find them. You have to actually acquire them in your binos, find the target. Like, cool. All right, hey, there's a fucking sheep out there. Let me get on that motherfucker. Or generally, people would find them, range them, write it down, and kind of where they're at get it all set up, then go through their shots. But, uh, yeah, they have uh, however many targets out there per stage, and they're at varying ranges, and they're all unknown ranges, and they're in, like, steel silhouettes of animals. That's so, badass. Yeah, it's pretty fucking sweet looking. I really want to do one someday because they're... Obviously, the guys that go in there with their... Oh, and there's weight requirements. So, like, PRS... Uh, generally you want like a really heavy gun, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So in NRL Hunter, you can't have, I think you can, I think there is an open class where you can have a fucking heavy gun, but they want to, they really want to keep the NRL Hunter in a certain area where it's like, oh my God, um, where it's more within like hunting relation. So your gun, generally they have like an eight pound requirement or something like that for a gun. And yeah. that's what you're shooting. You're not shooting a fucking, you know, 26 pound, six, five creed more, <laughs> right. you know? So, but, yeah. Well, I mean, no. you can throw up a hundred bucks to get a carbon fiber, uh, proof research barrel. And there you go. You just saved, uh, however many pounds on that 26 inch barrel. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. No, that sounds awesome, dude. Like that, that is, I'm kind of curious if the stages are like, you know, like in, in like really brushy, like kind of replicating or mimicking the, you know, being in, in like a wooded setting where you can actually feel a, a little bit more realistic. Mm-hmm. A lot of the patches are just like wide open pastures and then, you know, you can see the target clear, clear as day. Right. Yeah. The NRL hunter, they're definitely more hidden. Like they're, I won't say they're hidden, hidden, but they're, yeah, they're in like, uh, from the range that I've seen, they're generally in like hunting looking scenarios. It's not just a big open green patch with a shit ton of targets out there shooting, you know? So it seems, it seems pretty cool. I just, I need to get out there and do it. Yeah, no, that sounds, sounds awesome. So, um, talk about reloading some. So you've been, how many PRS matches do you do? A year generally well there's one every month um and the starting in march and it goes through september at the club um i've done the ones that are out of state a couple times but between the farm like now that i have the the new farm it's just getting it getting it all set up for season and you know doing all the food plots and the planting and all that stuff it just takes so much time now yeah uh, out of the but all, all these matches are on the on a weekend, so it makes it a little bit trickier for me to uh, to participate in all of them. For sure, I mean, especially when it comes to hunting, because you're more, I mean, you're more of a bow hunter, aren't you, rather than gunner? Like, I, I'm not saying you have to put your hat on or anything, but you're really into bow hunting. 
I I would say yes because I I would consider myself greener as a bow hunter than I am as a gun hunter. Yep. And I, I just need to give it more attention just because I want to get better at it. I think just the the nature of the PRS gets has gotten my comfort with the uh, behind the rifle to a level where it's like, oh, if, you know, it, whenever we have our two weekends in the season to get up on the tree with a with a slug gun here in Illinois, like that, no problem. Like I, I just make sure that the that my uh, scope is uh, zeroed and I'm good to go. Whereas the bow is just like, so you know, this is just one of those things I had to stick with it year round just to make sure that I feel confident. And I, even then, I don't feel anywhere near as confident behind the bow as I feel like. Uh, behind behind a gun, so um, that's I think that's primarily the reason why I pay more attention or spending more time behind the boat. It's just that, just to get the skill set up. Yeah, no, I mean that makes total sense. Uh, it's it doesn't take very much to be a, a pretty good shot. You know, it, it takes some dedication early on to <clears throat> learn how to shoot a gun like decent, but. Uh, in order to keep that up, it doesn't take that much attention necessarily. Once you get the fundamentals down and you understand right. all that stuff, it doesn't take much for you just to stay at least pretty decent. It does take a lot for you to become really fucking good, but you know, with bow, with archery stuff, it just take it takes a little bit more attention, a little bit more, uh, um, I guess, a little more practice in order to be proficient at rather than guns. Yeah, you, there, there's more variables in archery. Like, yeah. like what I was mentioning there with the, I think with 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 shooting, it's all very scientific and everything's very it's it's measurable. With a bow, unless you're you know like a tournament archer, like I don't even know where the data is for me to understand like certain spine or a certain length. Like, what's going to tighten my groups? Like the level of detail or or how much I can geek out you know, putting together a, a load for a, for any given rifle, I, I can't, or at least I don't know how to do that with a bow. So in many, many times, in many cases, I end up in a situation where the bow is just like, I, I, I'm wondering if we'll see the bow that is not optimized like my, my rifle is, or is it me, or is it a combination of both? So I think that's, right. that's kind of where I, I tend to fall when it comes to just uh, feeling proficient with, mm-hmm. with the bow no I, that makes total sense me me personally for some reason i've i'm pretty fucking good at like keeping like, yeah. for some for some people it takes a little bit longer for them to get into get back into shooting form when it comes to archery but for some reason i don't know i just i've always gotten i've always kept up to it up up with it and i guess in my brain so it's not been like a, a big thing for I need to shoot constantly in order to be good at it. Um, right. But it does take it. There are a lot of variables that go into because there's no with archery. There's no arrow that's built. You can't just go buy like a you know an Easton hunting arrow fully suited ready to go for your bow. For they right. don't have it set up like that. It, with rifles, uh, you you go you buy a thirty out six, and then you go to the store and you see thirty out six ammo. And you buy some ammo and you start shooting. There, you right. can't just go to the store and be like, "I have uh, an elite terrain set at seventy pounds at thirty-one and a half inch draw. Give me an arrow." Like they don't have just <laughs> arrow packages for that setup. You know what I mean? 
so exactly. I mean, it's, I it takes it takes a lot more tinkering on your end in order to be good at it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I was just I was just thinking exactly exactly that yesterday because I I, um, I have a bow press. I work with my own bow here, and I'm uh, I caught myself looking at uh, I, I did the center serving um, by hand and uh, by myself, and then I was tying the the, the knocking points or the soft knocks rather. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I caught myself, you know, like I have my, my lighter burning the, the, the knots that I made. And I'm like laughing at myself. I'm like, archery, you're, it's almost like, it's really an art just working on the bow because mm-hmm. I'm, it's just, it's these knots and how you tie certain things and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm laughing as I'm putting the lighter down to burn the ends of the string that I just wrapped around another string that is wrapped around a bunch of other strings <laughs> where uh, you know, if I'm making ammo, it's just like enter the number of how many grains I want and dump that, and then I press and it's done. It's like it's very clear cut uh, when it comes to hand lo- the hand loading or reloading uh, versus working on the bow. It's just like an art, and you know how tight do you, do you down. It's just it, it blows my mind, and I think it's part of the reason why why um, it still doesn't make me feel as comfortable as the as the gun because I've been, I feel like with a gun I can be very exact about what goes into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a bow, it's like does it feel tight enough? You know, like that. Right. Yeah. No, that makes total sense, dude. Like <laughs> that's exactly it. Like uh, shooting a gun and getting ready, to, uh, yeah. getting set up and shooting a gun well. And especially if you nerd completely out and get a reloading set and everything else and you go that route, it's a science. Like right. archery isn't necessarily a science. It's more of an art. Just like what you just said, that is, that sums it up perfectly, the differences between archery and um, guns. You know, like archery is 100% much more of an art. And there's no necessarily perfect... Um, do this, this, and this, and you'll get X result. You know, that's not necessarily mm-hmm. how it works with archery. You gotta, you gotta fuck around with it a lot more. You gotta tinker with it. You gotta change a lot of shit out and really, um, suit everything up to fit you personally the best. With, with a gun, it's, everything's a lot more scientifically laid out where it's like, do X, Y, and Z, and this is gonna happen. Yeah, and, and, and archery is not as, Document it's not documented in the way that firearms are, right? Like everything's like in, it's engineered, but also like just again with the ammo, like you pick up the manual, you know exactly how much how much of uh how much powder and then what powder and then how much um the bullet needs to be seated. And I, I can't think of any manuals in archery that tell me how to tie a D loop consider and just a D loop. Uh, I feel like there's, I could pick three, four different sources that may have a different way of tying a D loop. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a slight exaggeration, but it's like something as simple as that. There's an, even a, a consistent way of, of, of doing it with the same level of precision that, that you see it in the firearms world. Yeah, for sure, dude. Absolutely. Um, but hey, we've been going on about an hour and a half. Um, I don't want to keep you all night. But no problem. Uh, did you have? I'm also getting a bunch of fucking write errors on my damn SD card. It's still running, so that's good. But um, I just, I, I, is there anything else we really wanted to get to 
um, tonight that you know of? Like, I guess what else uh, do you I want to throw out so, there? I think we should do as a follow-up, and, and we didn't talk about this, but as a follow-up, I think we should uh, find time to do some uh, night coyote hunting at some point. Cause, uh, oh, yeah. It's it's something that's been in the back of my back of my head, and it's if I can find somebody who's into it, who's not that far uh, from the farm, uh, yeah, like that. That I think that would be something that I'd like to get into it. And if you're uh, if you're interested, I mean, oh fuck yeah, dude! Do you have a lot of coyotes on your farm? And your new that you just bought uh, or what? The, we have a lease also, and that that lease has a ton of coyotes. Oh no my shit! My farm mostly uh, raccoons. But the coyotes uh, on the other is have uh, we lease three hundred acres uh, closer closer west to, uh, towards you. Okay, uh, place to go and and, and do some uh, some calling and some uh, shooting for sure. Fuck yeah, and I, I know some guys that are really into coyotes and shit. We could definitely figure something out, dude. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. Suppressors aren't legal in Illinois, though, are they? No. Fucking bullshit, dude. <laughs> dude, oh my gosh. Uh went out prairie dog hunting not too long ago with uh Matt Hoynes and Sky Sullivan. Uh yeah. and Matt, he works at Silencer Central and he brought all of his cans out there and fuck dude. That oh, makes those are game this is such a game changer. And the thing that sucks yeah. is like the NFA at, the NFA got passed in 1934, and that was very much in a time where the Prohibition era um, created a, a huge black market in alcohol and created a bunch of fucking organized president. It was like, you know, hey, we got to do something about this fucking crime situation. And uh, I think he just almost got assassinated, too, in that same time frame. And it was like, fuck, we got to do something. So they passed the NFA. And they put silencers on there as an NFA item. And it's like, fuck, dude, those things, because the, at the time, the reason why they got put on there is because they had, quote unquote, no sporting use. They were only, at the time, they were only being used by gangsters and criminals. So they were like, yeah, fucking throw that thing on there too, because only gangsters and criminals use uh, silencers and they have no, they have, and they, they stayed in there. The reason why they put them in there was because they had no sporting use. It's like, motherfuckers, if only you knew how much sporting use the silencer has. Because they are, right. they are awesome. They're the shit. I really need to get a couple. I feel like it's a. Re- I think it's a requirement in um, in Europe if you want to shoot a uh, go hunting. I don't know if it's a requirement, yeah. but it's like certainly like more well, seems welcome for people to put a can on their rifles out there. Everywhere in Europe, like all these countries have way stricter gun laws than us. Like South Africa, you can buy a fucking silencer in South Africa. And I, I think you can buy one in a gas station. Like they are so easy to, so easy to buy, but and it's not an oil filter, is it? Yeah. Right. Well, it might be, but <laughs> they're not titanium. Those, the ones you find in the gas station aren't, aren't titanium, but they're, you know, but you can still find them. Like they, yeah. they're sold very much over the counter because they're just a device. Like they're not even a, it's not a gun. It's just a fucking piece of metal. And, right. uh, and they control guns like super strictly in, South Africa. I think every gun you buy, you have to have like, a huge sheet written out. It's only to you. So, like I don't know. It's a they're much more strict. They have much more strict gun laws in Europe than we do. But yet they re, even they realize 
that fucking silencers are the shit and they have no use until they're on a gun. You know, like they aren't, they in in of themselves, they're not going to fucking hurt anybody. So, and you can't, I mean, unless you beat the fuck out of someone like a night with a, in using it as a nightstick, it's not going to do anything. But I think, uh, New Zealand specifically, or maybe it's Scotland or something like that. One of those Island countries, they do, um, require a silencer during hunting just because it's an Island and it's close quarters to, um, housing and stuff like that. They don't want a bunch of fucking gunshots going off during hunting season. Makes sense. Yeah. It's either, I want to say it's New Zealand or Scotland. One of those two fucking Island countries. Cause Scotland's an, Scotland's an island, right? I'm not dumb by thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those fucking weird European island countries that they're like, yeah, silencers are the shit and we should all be using them. So, but yet in Iowa or not in Iowa, but America, we're like, nope, you got to pay a $200 tax stamp to get one. And fucking Illinois is like, you can't even have one. Can't even look at one. So, yeah. silencers over here suppressors over here yeah it's fucking stupid i think actually (laughs) the legal term form is silencer which is kind of funny too like that's why it's (laughs) yeah yeah matt hoinas is telling me that because that's why they're called like legally silencer central i think that that's legally why they're called silencer central then you have silencer co like they're all they 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 call their suppressors silencers because I think that's the actual legal term for that device is a silencer when it comes to the, when it comes to the government. Oh wow! So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But but yeah, dude, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, is there anything else you wanted to close with? I guess before we head out of here. Thank you for having me, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get together again. I remember meeting you in person. Uh, to my last year's uh, shoot, so um, yeah, this year, uh, yeah, yeah it was ab- fun to get together. Absolutely, I'm glad you came on, man. This has been a been a good time. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jake. Yes, sir. All right, thanks, everyone. See you next week. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv